Women's Health Melbourne is an innovative, holistic fertility and women's health practice. We are world leaders in IVF and egg freezing and provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our hand-picked expert team provides the ultimate care experience for our patients. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and follow us at Women's Health Melbourne and at Dr Rayleigh Alou. latest episode of our series, Personalising PCOS, we're talking with Karen Rockberger, Chinese medicine practitioner at Women's Health Melbourne, on how Chinese medicine can improve quality of life and maximise fertility. Karen, welcome to Knocked Up. It's Karen's first time on Knocked Up. It is. We're so excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. Yes, you've been at Women's Health Melbourne for a few months now, mm-hmm. haven't made it onto the podcast. Karen, do you want to start by telling our listeners a little bit about your background and how you started working in the field of Chinese medicine? Sure. I started off after school. I went into biomedical science, actually. So I had quite quite an interest in biology, how the body works. I, as the years rolled on, I knew that going into research was not really where I wanted to be. I was more interested in interactions with people. From there, I looked into other, I kind of was very interested in natural medicines. I investigated different universities and I found Southern School of Natural Therapies, which is in Fitzroy, but they also offered Chinese medicine. So I decided to explore both options at the beginning and do naturopathy and Chinese medicine. But then I found I had such a strong affinity towards Chinese medicine. There was such a real deep history attached to it. I love the tactile element of acupuncture and cupping and moxibustion, which is heat therapy. It really resonated with me. And it wasn't only just, there was something where it looked at the body as this whole integrative system. I found Chinese medicine was really holistic in its approach in terms of treating disease within the body. It really, when you're treating a patient, you are looking at the whole body system and you're really trying to understand the disharmony within the body and it's actually also just trying to create an equilibrium within the body. You're trying to encourage the body to return to its normal state of being and it's not just that, it's also about when you're doing a treatment with within Chinese medicine, you're also assessing, okay, how can I address their, you know, look at their diet look at their, you know, assess their lifestyle. How can I make changes within that so that is in tune with their own body? It sounds a lot like in Chinese medicine, you're trying to take the body back to a balanced state. How would you achieve that? I do ask a lot of questions. And when people, when I ask a lot of questions, they're quite responsive. They've never had these questions asked them before about, the quality of their stools, what their appetite's like, even the extent of their sleep, you know, do they find it difficult waking, you know, do they find it difficult falling asleep at night? Do they wake up frequently? Do they experience night sweats? So the questioning's quite extensive. And from that, a pattern tends to emerge. So we're looking for patterns when I'm asking a lot of those questions. And then I can come up with a diagnosis and then from that, a treatment plan. 
in Chinese medicine, and especially when I had my science with my science background, I, you know, it really threw me like it was a whole new way of looking at the body. So you have to also explain that to the patient too. A patient might come to me with a particular diagnosis. Um, from a traditional in, doctor? From a yeah, like a Western medicine diagnosis. It's important to not get too fixated by the diagnosis and get caught up in that and really try to get to the root cause of why that particular person's presenting with this condition. Then I go back to expl- trying to explain it to them so that they can understand, try to explain how all these symptoms do form a pattern and then we come up with a treatment plan. Often that includes acupuncture, if we need to do cupping or we need to do heat therapy, a lot of people, I often use um, heat lamps. You can also use moxibustion as well. And whether or not we want to include some herbal medicine as well and or supplements. It's starting extensive treatment. I just wanted to ask about moxibustion. Yes. Can you tell us about that? A lot of people think that it's just acupuncture is the main form of treatment, but it's actually in the traditional textbooks, it's actually acupuncture and moxibustion. So moxibustion is actually a herb, but some people use it even loose and just burn that on a particular acupuncture point. They can use it in a cigar-like form as well. Um, sometimes you can also have it and place it on top of a particular needle as well in a particular in a cage. And what it's really doing, it's bringing deep warmth into the body. There's a lot of cold in our environment and um, a lot of our conditions that we do have, sometimes the root cause is cold. A lot of patients come in and, you know, cold hands and feet, um, really slow metabolism. So I find that when you do use that heat therapy, it really brings warmth to the body, it really nurtures and nourishes and it actually improves circulation. So even... I know we're not going to be talking about, like, say, endometriosis, but often there's stagnation as well, and there's quite cold attached to that too. So you need to get warmth, particularly in that womb area, to get that invigoration and to get that blood flow through to that area. Let's just say the patient didn't have a label. Can you talk me through how you see a patient with PCOS, What with your lens, with your Chinese medicine lens? You know, from my point of view what do I do to diagnose polycystic ovaries? Well, you know, we have a look at their menstrual pattern. Often they'd be presenting to me because they would like to be pregnant and they're not ovulating regularly. So they've got a very disrupted menstrual pattern or they might not be having periods at all. Then I will run all these blood tests because officially on paper you have to have a diagnosis of exclusion for PCOS. So I have to make sure that nothing else is going on medically that could be causing irregular cycles. And then they need to either have high androgens on paper or have a history of symptoms that are in the body related to high androgens, even if their androgens on paper are normal. So things like excess hair growth or acne or male pattern baldness or some kind of androgen issues. And also often I'll be looking at insulin resistance because that can be a big part of PCOS for some people. And of course, to have a diagnosis of PCOS, you've got to have a polycystic ovary to some degree. So like a big, powerful ovary with lots of eggs. And we want to see either ultrasound evidence of that or a high AMH. And these are the things that I bring to make that diagnosis. So to me, when a patient with those characteristics comes in and I see that pattern, I think, okay, PCOS. And then I start looking into, of course, looking into male factors as well as part of 
the plan we're going to make, but I'm going to make kind of a, a plan based on the diagnosis. From my understanding in Chinese medicine, you might have a different plan more based on the person and their physicality that they bring to the situation as well as whatever the particular underlying physiology is of whatever's going on in their body and it might be different from one person to another based on observations that I wouldn't necessarily be making for a patient that I'm examining. Maybe talk us through how a patient who kind of meets the classical criteria of PCOS, what they look like to you potentially when you meet them for the first time and the things that you're looking for in terms of deciding what kind of treatment to, from a Chinese medicine perspective, integrate into their care. Actually, at the moment, I have noticed a significant amount, number of polycystic ovarian syndrome patients and they all present so differently. Even though they come under the category of PCOS, that's where I start doing the individualised treatment. And a lot of the time women do come in and it doesn't necessarily have to be for fertility. It could just be regulating their cycles or they've just come off the pill and they haven't got a period. So they've, you know, they've got amenorrhea and they want to reestablish their cycles again. And they may be having all these androgen excess like, like you were describing, the acne as well. What I first do is I notice that there is an element of stress attached to that. So I try to just explain, let's not get too focused on the diagnosis and let's just work through the symptoms and we'll come up with our own treatment plan. So yeah, for example, I mean, I wouldn't really say the classic picture because obviously nowadays it's quite variable, but let's say you've got um, a woman who's a little bit overweight, you know, they're a bit sluggish, they're foggy headed. They've kind of got loose, sticky stools and they're just you know, constantly bloated. So I'd kind of look at symptoms like that and, you know, looking at also they've got irregular cycles, let's say, um, and if they do bleed, it's quite kind of like dark blood, a bit also sticky, mucus-like and clotted. So from that, I would then say, okay, what would be my diagnosis in that situation? So women who do present in that category which is probably what would you say really are people women who are a bit more overweight like what percentage of women do you find with PCOS um look it's it's one of those things where it is quite variable because PCOS it's not it's not like a a diagnosis where everyone with the label has the same situation some people have a really big powerful ovary with lots of follicles and in the context of their lifestyle environment and genes will not be overweight at all in fact some are quite skinny and yet they can be some of the most resistant PCOS Mm -hmm. cases in terms of inducing ovulation and others will be less susceptible to the polycystic ovary but the fact that they're carrying extra weight and their metabolism is slowed and their insulin resistance is a bigger part of the picture they'll push themselves into PCOS not push themselves I mean it's not their fault but they'll they'll go over that threshold with a couple of extra kilos and they'll have a sweet spot that if they manage to lose say five kilos they they ovulate so you know it's variable in what is causing that imbalance for some people it's the ovary and it's just a you know in in the context of our modern lifestyle because the world that we evolved in you couldn't go to the shop and buy food you couldn't jump in your car and and drive where you were going you know you had to burn 
a substantial amount of energy to stay alive. And some people who have a particular genetic predisposition in our world where we don't burn as much energy just in our activities of daily living have this excess of energy that unfortunately tips them into a polycystic situation. And some people with this genetic combination have a bit of a spiral effect because they are insulin resistant and therefore they put on weight more easily and then the weight causes the metabolic concern and then it exacerbates in a negative spiral. So sometimes for me it's about breaking the cycle for patients like that. That's why I'm really interested in this kind of individualised approach and integrating the more traditional um, methods. I assume with Chinese medicine, much like Western medicine, that the population of women that we're treating, particularly in regards to fertility, has changed somewhat in the last few decades because, firstly, I think it's important to acknowledge that as a society we are a bit heavier in general, everybody is, than three generations ago for various reasons. And so there are probably more women in that category that do become affected by irregular menstrual cycles because they're carrying a little bit of extra weight and because we have a more sedentary lifestyle. And certainly in our pregnant populations, we see that reflected in increasing rates of gestational diabetes as well, which is a related factor. In Chinese medicine terms, that would be considered as almost like a bit of a damp presentation. So in Chinese medicine, a lot of these you know, things are kind of broken down into really simple elements. So that's why sometimes even when I try and explain it to patients, they kind of get it as well because when you're talking about heat, you're talking about cold, damp, wind. So there's all these different factors that you can kind of try and explain it. So if you say, so a patient like that would present more as like a damp phlegm constitution. And then I look at, okay, well, particularly we need to really support the digestive function because their digestion is quite weakened and it's not working at its optimum. So the way I explain is I say, you know, imagine that there's like a furnace burning in your gut. And in the West we do like putting a lot of cold and raw, cold drinks, ice drinks and raw foods, rich foods and sweets into our body and that extinguishes that fire that's burning and that makes the digestion quite sluggish and harder to actually transport all the foods and fluids we put into the body and harder to then be converted into nutrients for the body. So we need to keep that digestive fire alive. That's how I describe it. So so you always hear a Chinese medicine practitioner talk about having warming foods, you know, room temperature drinks or warm drinks. I often recommend reducing a lot of damp producing foods. So that can be dairy, which I know a lot of, you know, whether it's a naturopath or, you know, a dietitian, they'll all talk about it, particularly if they're overweight, not to have too much dairy, cutting out sugars, refined carbohydrates, things like greasy fried foods, a lot of the, you know, the real kind of heavier meats. So those are foods we kind of want to try and remove from your diet. And then when you, and you know, like you were saying as well, that often that's tied into a lot of insulin resistance as well. You know, and a lot of these women too will find it a lot harder, they'll just find it harder to do more movement and to do more exercise, which is obviously something that is really important in this particular symptom picture. Because often when you do a lot of movement, it actually also breaks 
down a lot of that damp and phlegm that's just stuck in the body. Because also when you look at the cysts too, they are fluid-filled cysts as well, and it's almost like a bit damp-like, a bit kind of like there's a bit of a like a phlegm casing around there does that does that I mean is that something that correlates to it's not a hundred percent something that would correlate for me because I would say that in terms of the ultrasound yeah the ultrasound because you can have a polycystic looking ovary on ultrasound and be perfectly in harmony from an endocrine perspective if I pulled 15 women off the street who were under 25 and did an ultrasound on them randomly with no symptoms whatsoever, I can tell you more than 50% would have a polycystic looking ovary. So the ovary, and I think even the cyst, because like the word cyst sounds like a pathology. Mm. Whereas what we're talking about when we say a polycystic ovary, it's almost like the word does no service to the patients because Mm. it's not a cyst, it's a follicle. It's an egg-bearing follicle with a little egg inside it. And when that egg is released, it can be a super healthy, wonderful, normal egg with nothing wrong with it. And, you know, having... I always say to my patients who come to freeze eggs who happen to have a polycystic spectrum ovary, I say, this is a gift. You know, this is an amazing advantage you have to have a polycystic ovary because it means you've got this big, voluptuous ovary with lots of eggs. And it's wonderful for egg freezing because we tend to get a great number of eggs in one go and they're good eggs. So I would say I don't think of a cyst on an ovary, you know, as a pathology in the context of polycystic ovary. I just think of it, okay, now this woman has a very powerful ovary. She has double the amount of ovarian tissue as the average woman. That ovarian tissue is an active endocrine organ, an active hormonal tissue. And so... If the environment of her body is such that it's, you know, you put your you know, foot on the pedal of that ovary, it's not a Toyota Corolla ovary, it's a Ferrari. And if you put your foot down heavy, it's going to go and it's going to make lots of hormones and they're going to cause havoc. So the ovary is not the problem per se, but I think more when you're talking about damp, what resonates more with me is, you know, it's just a way of describing things differently. You know, from, from my point of view, from a Western medicine point of view, when we think about diet and the way that things change in the body, you know, we're much less holistically focused. We're much more about, well, this does this, therefore we'll do this to achieve this. You know, it's, it's much more algorithmic. Whereas what I think you're saying is more that we're going to see what are the features of this person that are modifiable, that might be contributing to this picture and how can we adjust them in the context of that particular person. Definitely it is really, it is about the features. You, you know, in terms of treatment, you'd also be looking at particular herbs and that do help break up a lot of damp and phlegm in the body. And a lot of herbs are actually also foods too. Sometimes food is therapy as well if people don't feel necessarily so comfortable taking herbs too. You know, a particularly big one, especially when there's insulin resistance, is cinnamon. So and there's been a lot of research in terms of the effectiveness of cinnamon in terms of help, helping regulate blood sugar levels. You know, there have also been some studies that have... Um, 
also looked at the effect of acupuncture on rats with polycystic ovaries, and that demonstrated um, a reduction in insulin resistance as well. You know, but often we, we don't necessarily prescribe single herbs. You do prescribe in a formula, and every herb has a role to play. So it really is a comprehensive treatment that you're looking at that when I would address a woman too. We mentioned earlier about women who may have an irregular cycle or no period at all after coming off the pill. How can Chinese medicine help them? In those scenarios, what I try to do is more about replenishing and boosting and boosting and revitalising them. So really building the blood, really building the energy to help also re-establish their cycles. Um, I definitely like to encourage, you know, good quality, sufficient sleep for them. Doing more restorative exercise. Often sometimes I find those women can be really high energy and doing excessive exercise. So when you're doing so much exercise, that's actually also quite depleting. So I almost have to like pull them back a little bit. And then, yeah, and then in those women as well, I'd look at doing more warming treatments, you know, like really nourishing and nurturing for them to help, re, re, you know, regulate their cycles. If a patient comes to you presenting as PCOS, either with a pre-existing medical diagnosis or you've uncovered it in your investigations, how do you go about treating them for infertility? Again, it, we look at their menstrual history and really go through what they're, you know, really going back to when they actually, their periods did start. Were they always irregular? Were they put on the pill early? And have they been on the pill for decades and they only recently come off because they want to try and conceive? So from there, it's, and then what, when they have had periods, what do their periods look like? What are the colour? What's the flow like? Is there pain? What's, what's happening premenstrually? When they have had cycles, even though they've been irregular, have they noticed anything mid-cycle? You know, have they noticed mucus changes or anything like that? So we're really kind of trying to understand their background and what's also led them to this particular point and how they've been diagnosed as having polycystic ovaries. And again, you know, the tree again just going through that same pattern of going through the diagnosis coming up with a treatment plan for them. And really it depends on, I guess, the severity of the polycystic ovaries because if it is something that is probably mild, then I would say it only probably needs, you know, several months of treatment. Probably I, always, in a, always in a polycystic scenario, I do say, do, do recommend frequent treatments. But if it is a little bit more severe, Often they are seeing a fertility specialist and so I would like to work hand in hand with a fertility specialist and just be that extra support for them as well. And I think in that particular scenario where women have been diagnosed and also trying to conceive, there's a lot of stress attached to that as well and a lot of frustration. I then feel my role is also supportive, a lot of stress support too. And, you know, again, acupuncture is fantastic for dampening down that sympathetic nervous system, really just trying to reduce those cortisol levels because then that also, the cortisol and the insulin are all intimately connected and it's all, you know, getting into that vicious cycle. So I agree. I think in ovulation induction, uh, one thing that can lower the threshold for response is if we're working on that burden of stress. And just like exercise releases endorphins, so does acupuncture. And regular 
kind of investment in yourself and in your in your mental and physical well-being will reduce the threshold that it takes. So even if you still need medications to achieve ovulation, because not everybody does, sometimes we'll use minor diet and lifestyle focused therapies and some women will just drop that little bit below that threshold and will ovulate. A lot of the time it is a collaborative function that we work together to try and achieve ovulation with the minimum intervention required. And it is a long-term prospect in that every month, if you're very fertile and there's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with your partner, your chance of getting pregnant is one in five. It's the definition of success in PCOS, I guess. You know, ovulation is definitely something we'd herald as a success. Regular ovulation is like an amazing success, but that in itself may not immediately achieve pregnancy. So I would say that the relationship with a doctor and with your Chinese doctor is going to be a long relationship often not a one treatment fix. When it comes to acupuncture's role in achieving ovulation what has the research shown and how frequently was treatment needed for acupuncture to be effective? So it's interesting because I did find a study that looked at acupuncture in order to encourage ovulation and they the researchers found that you know you need about two to five treatments a week for four months and obviously this is not practically practical in terms of our time constraints and also financially as well but it's also not important not to disregard the fact that you can still have weekly or fortnightly acupuncture and that's still beneficial as well it's still providing you with the support you need on a whole lot of levels in terms of your stress reduction in terms of re-establishing your cycles and reducing a lot of the other symptom picture that you may be presenting with as well. I think an important thing to call out in those kind of studies is that while the acupuncture may have started three or four months ago, so did the holistic advice from your your practitioner. So some of those things that we implement or we recommend patients implement, like adjusting their diet, like using herbs to create changes, like increasing their exercise, like trying to reduce the food foods that provoke the PCOS process in their body, you know, the impacts of those changes will take time. And time is a critical ingredient, um, particularly in achieving pregnancies for women with PCOS who want to achieve them more naturally because it's not going to be a kind of snap your fingers change and situation kind of averted. It's going to be a commitment and it's going to be a transition. And for many women that can result in a more natural conception, be it by themselves with natural ovulation or with provoked ovulation using medications. Even though it will take time, I think that actually that time is crucial because if they do, it does take three to four months. I mean, that's the perfect time. That's the perfect preconception time to really help nurture the environment and and address all those factors that could, you know, like you were saying earlier as well, that have all the potential risk factors during pregnancy. So you really have this opportunity to almost nourish the soil before planting the seeds creating the right perfect environment and alleviating a lot of symptoms that they may be experiencing so in order for their outcome to achieve their potential pregnancy. 
Karen, with patients with this kind of PCO picture, would you recommend continuing acupuncture in early pregnancy? Oh, definitely. Especially during the first trimester, I often find that there's so much change going on within the body and so and and such an extreme hormonal change as well that there are a lot of symptoms and a lot of women do feel exhausted. A lot of the nausea does surface as well, potentially vomiting as well. And they often find that they can't actually take anything. It's just too much to swallow any more tablets that they already are taking. That's when acupuncture is perfect because it really does help alleviate the symptoms and also support the pregnancy. I think we'll have to have you back, Karen, to talk about the role of Chinese medicine in pregnancy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Join us on Instagram at Knocked Up Podcast and at Dr. Raylia Liu, or email us your questions to podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au.